Good morning. This is the Lou Rockwell Show, and it's great to have as our guest today, Dr. Joe Salerno. Joe is academic vice president of the Mises Institute, received his Ph.D. at Rutgers University. He was uh, head of uh, graduate economics at the Lublin School of uh, Economics and Finance at Pace University. He's emeritus professor there now. Uh, he's the John V. Denson endowed professor at Auburn University. He's author of many books, magnificent academic papers by the score. We could easily spend many hours talking about his academic achievements. But Joe, I want to talk about Murray Rothbard today. And I mean, you, you knew Murray well. You uh, knew him for a very long time. You've got many funny stories about him. Of course, not only was he a world-class uh, economic genius and uh, historical genius, and I mean, he was just, he, he sort of knew, knew everything, but he was just he was a very charming and funny, interesting guy. And uh, I wonder if you'd talk to us about maybe just to start with the first time you met Murray, um, your honeymoon story, what, what happened when uh, you guys were in Vermont, just funny and interesting stories about Murray. He was such an attractive person, I mean, in, in not only intellectually, but just as a human being. And of course, so was his wife, Joey Rothbard. So well, tell us how you met Murray first. Yeah, th thank you very much for the gracious in introduction, Lou. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, Mar Murray did become a very close friend of mine. Um, and, you know, when I first met him, uh, it was... It was actually when I first saw him. I didn't actually meet him the first time that I that I saw him. Mm -hmm. um, I I had just become a graduate student at Rutgers University, and there was a libertarian scholar. Uh, there was libertarian conference in New York City, uh, and so I went with uh, somebody from the New Jersey Libertarian Party. I had been, I was vice president of the party at the time, so I went with the president, and um, we were very excited because Murray was going to be there. Um, the speaker before Murray was Bob Lafave. And Bob Lafave believed in pacifism, not just with uh, relating to states, but also mm -hmm. um, personal pacifism, where you would not even respond in self-defense with, with, with defensive violence. So when Murray, Murray got up there, he gave a very good talk. I don't remember the exact uh, subtopic of the talk. It was, it was sort of broad about libertarianism, broadly speaking. But at the end, there, were, there was a question and answer period, and Murray was very gracious and stayed quite a while answering questions. And someone asked him um, about Bob Lefebvre's position on personal um, pacifism. And Murray, Murray had not heard, heard the talk, but he said, he said well, I, he, says, he says, if someone was coming at me with a mallet, he says, I'd plug him. <laughs> um, and, and so that's, of course, the, the audience broke up in laughter. So, so that was the first time I saw him. Um, he was very funny. I, I didn't know what he would look like. I hadn't never seen a picture of him. Um, but he came across as a, as a jolly professor, just in, in love with life and, and just wanting to entertain the audience, but, but not, not, not for his own reasons, but just because he liked people. Mm -hmm. He really did like people. And so that was uh, in November of that year. And in, in the following Feb February is when I met him um, as a vice president of, of, of the, the, the New Jersey Libertarian Party. I was in charge of getting the keynote speaker for the convention in, in February. And I think this is when John Hospers was running in 1972, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I, I, I got Murray's number phone number and I called him up at his apartment in, in Manhattan and um, he, he was very, very 
open to speaking and uh, I told him we didn't have much money. And, and before I was going to offer $100, but before I could say that, he said, well, what about $75? And I said, that's great. You know, well, we, can, we can definitely afford that. Well, even with inflation, $75 is still not a lot today <laughs> um, for someone of his caliber. And so, um, so, so I think uh, someone from the Libertarian Party br uh, went and, and picked him up at his apartment and drove him, and I, I received him at, at the convention. And um, so there, it, this, this woman was really bending his ear, the, the person who had driven him, and I sort of walked over and, and, and sort of interposed myself between him and her and began to talk to him. And um, as soon as he found out, I just mentioned offhand that I was a grad student in economics at Rutgers University, and, and I started to go on, and, and he stopped me immediately, and he began frantically searching for a pen or pencil, searching every pocket. And so finally, I pulled one out, and he gave it to him, and he immediately took down my number, and he says, oh, I'll get somebody to contact you. He says, there's, there's a... a um, a, a, a reading circle uh, in New Jersey with, with a number of uh, grad students and, and a professor. And the professors turned out to be Walter Block and Walter Grinder, and uh, who, who both taught at Rutgers at the time. Um, and so I didn't think much more about it, but, but that Monday, uh, the convention was on Saturday, that Monday, somebody called me up um, and, and asked me uh, if, if I would like to join the reading circle. We were reading uh, Mises' Theory of Money and Credit, and that my name had been given to them by Murray. So he had done it almost immediately. Wow. And so that just shows he was always looking on the lookout for new recruits to the cause. Yes, he was. Yeah. You know, that, that was one of the most important things that, uh, to him. Uh, I mean, that, that, he saw that as, as, as a primary activity that, you know, to, to, to develop what he called at the time the intellectual cadre the people who would understand the, the doctrine and, and, and go out and spread it. And um, so I, 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 I attended that, the uh, reading group for a number of, of months. And eventually, I guess they thought I was good enough that I could then go to Murray's apartment. So he, uh, he invited me formally. And um, I went over with one of the members of the reading um, circle. And um, so we met in his living room. And uh, he... he uh, the, the window was open, um, and it, his his apartment looked out uh, on uh, a parking lot that was across the street, mm -hmm. and and there were a few attendants there. They were kind of rowdy, and and one of them had a trumpet, and he kept blowing the trumpet. It was very, it was a very hot night out, so the window was open, had had to remain open. And um, so um, suddenly Murray began yelling out, shut up, shut up. <laughs> and, and, and his wife, came, came uh, Joey, came scurrying in because she was afraid these people would, would know what window was coming from and, and take action. And she shut the window and brought in a fan. <laughs> so, um, but, but so I, I stayed till very late that, that evening. But, but during the discussion, um, Murray went from telling stories about his favorite fiction books to question me very closely about some fine points of libertarianism. Um, regarding his uh, fictional reading, Murray always referred to himself as a Philistine, someone who didn't read, you know, literary works, but he, he liked detective novels. Mm -hmm. So at the time he was reading Matt Helm, who was a poor man's James Bond, an, Amer yes. an American James Bond. <laughs> and 
Um, so he reenacted one of the scenes. He, he was trying to, he said, you can learn things from these books. He says, he says, Matt Helm, he says, when, whenever he knew he was going into a dangerous situation, he'd burst in and he wouldn't ask any questions. He'd just, he'd just start firing away. And he, he actually you know, came in and <laughs> had both of his fingers like guns was, was firing away. So, but then, then you know, he, the next thing he would ask me would be, um, we had a discussion about looting. Uh, and uh, his, his position was that, uh, you know, if your property was being uh, taken and, 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 and you were there and could stop it, well, then you could stop the looter or even up to shooting the looter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, but, but he didn't think you could, if the looter had, the, had the, your television was running away, that you could shoot him in the back. Um, but I dissented. I said, well, you know, the police are inefficient. Not everybody has insurance. Um, you know, it, 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 they don't put a high priority on, on, on property crimes. So, so Murray thought for a minute, he says, oh, you're someone I could have a conversation with on this. <laughs> so whenever you were harder core than Murray, he, he loved it. He was sort of overjoyed and, and wanted to discuss it more. <laughs> so, um, I must've stayed until two or three o'clock in the morning, in the morning. And, um, and uh, so, so that was my first meeting with him. And, I, and after that, we became very friendly. I was able to call him on the phone. Uh, you know, I wasn't embarrassed. And sometimes he would call me. So, so that's when our friendship began. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was just wonderful. Um, that, the first meeting just really put, put, put me at ease. He was also very, very humble. Um, uh, you know, he, he wanted to hear what my views were. He didn't talk at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had a real dialogue, a conversation. And... Um, yeah, I, I, I was I was I was thrilled. He was kind of the opposite of Milton Friedman. Exactly. In those M- Milton Friedman talked at you. Yeah. I, I'd been in his press. I didn't know him well, but I, I did know I, I did speak to him a number of uh, a number of occasions personally, me and others. And um, he, yeah, he just talked. He, I, you'd have to say he talked at you. He wasn't really interested in, in your opinions. And he certainly wasn't humble. No, he wasn't humble at all. In fact, one of the uh, the discussions I had, um, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but not but not about not by too many years, was at the South Royalton Conference, which was allegedly an Austrian conference, and it was an Austrian conference. It was the first one ever held in in North America, the first conference on on Austrian economics. This was in South Royalton, Vermont, a very small and, and strange town. Um, but uh, one of the people uh, from the um, IHS Institute for Humane Studies who was uh, in charge of uh, the on-site mm-hmm. person who was in charge, uh, Ken Templeton was his name, in- invited Milton Friedman to the opening dinner for some reason. So Milton Friedman showed up on, on, on that first evening early, and, um, and a number of, 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 of the younger people, the graduate students and young professors, there were about 30 of us, uh, were there. And um, we, we started talking to Milton Friedman. And... Um, then uh, Murray pulled in, uh, his wife was driving and pulled in, and, and uh, we went over to, to him, and uh, he had some bags, and so we were going to help him. And he saw Milton Friedman, he said, what's he doing here? And I said, well, you know, we said that you know, Ken Templeton invited him to, to, to attend the dinner. And um, so before dinner, uh, we were all in, in, in sort of a big room um, where there were there were hors d'oeuvres and, and cocktails and so on, and and Murray Roth Murray had just written an article called Uncle Milty Rides Again, which was attacking Friedman's view that well inflation isn't so bad if you can index it. If you so if we have in, universal indexing, it's not it's not so bad. And Murray called called him an inflationist in the article. Mm-hmm. So what what so um, a number of us went over to Milton Friedman and, and asked him about the article 
<laughs> and and he he was very upset. He says, "Can you believe he called me an inflationist? Of all people, he called me an inflationist." And we we would go back to Murray and, and ask, <laughs> tell him what Friedman said. Well, they were on opposite sides of the room, and and they really weren't looking back and uh, looking at each other at all. But um, yeah, Murray was not not amused. But then later during the dinner, um, we uh, Milton Friedman got up and. I was asked to give a talk, even though he was really not just invited at the last moment. He was mm -hmm. asked to give a little, little talk, and and he stood up and he and he talked a little bit, and he said that there's no such thing as as Austrian economics. There's only good economics or bad economics. Now, I he did not say there's no such thing as Austrian economics or Chicago economics. He just simply said there's no such thing as Austrian <laughs> economics. There's only good economics or bad economics. And so I was sitting at Murray's table, and he was not happy about that. But then later on, Milton Friedman, in his talk, was trying to discredit Mises and said, um, well, he says, Mises was, was intolerant um, uh, on, on our trip over. I guess they went over on, on a boat to um, uh, the Mount Pelerin Society, first Mount Pelerin Society meeting um, in Europe. Uh, they were going from New York, I believe, to, 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 to Europe. Um, there were a number of Chicago economists there, including, I think, George Stigler and, and, and um, Milton Friedman and a few others. And they were discussing the income tax and, and, and how to, to make it less intrusive um, and, uh, you know, why withholding was necessary during World War II. Um, and Mises stood up. And, and said, you're all a bunch of socialists, and stomped out. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's how Friedman put it. And Mises stood up and stomped out. And, and Murray Les began to lead the cheer. He, he started saying, yeah, and we all, we all started cheering and clapping. So Friedman didn't, didn't, didn't get the reaction that he was expecting. Um, but but Mar Murray got his revenge. Friedman, uh, a very, I thought a very unpleasant guy, just in general. Uh, the few times I was in his presence, he he, he was not he was not very really pleasant. And he if if a a student or uh, an attendee at one of his lectures asked what he thought of as a stupid question, he would just love crushing them. Yes, yeah, right. Whereas Mises and Murray, for that re example, had a, the opposite reaction. They always tried to stimulate learning and and uh, try to find something good in everybody. Yeah, in fact, I, Murray. Murray um, explicitly followed Mises. Uh, Mises at one point or, or a number of times during his seminar in New York uh, would, would, would uh, say, uh, according to Murray, uh, that no matter what kind of question you have and, 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 and no matter uh, you know, whether you think the question is stupid or not, he said, I assure you that, that economists have asked that same question before. Uh, you know, and, and so just ask the question. So Mises, uh, so, uh, Mises always tried to, to encourage any, the smallest sign of productivity and thought in a yes. student. And Murray yes. did this exact same mm -hmm. thing. He followed Mises to the letter on that. Whereas Friedman seemed to want to discourage people from being interested if he thought they weren't on his level or uh, uh, wouldn't be suitable followers. Yes. In fact, if you, if you look at Friedman's memoirs, um, Two Lucky People, which he wrote with his wife, who's also an economist, in a number of places, and also in some of his interviews, he calls some of his, uh, the, the, his mentors stupid uh, like, um, or dumb. Dumb, not stupid. He, uh, Henry Schultz, who was a very – one of the first econometricians, Friedman didn't think very much of him. Friedman was a collaborator on on, on Schultz's book, a very famous book on on, on measuring the elasticity of demand. But in any case, he's well. He says, you know, he was really not that smart. 
Um, and he also badmouthed other economists. He, he said about Frank Knight, who he, he did follow and did like, but he, but he said, well, he wasn't really an economist as much as a philosopher. Um, and he says, he, and, and George Stigler and I had to t- get him to see the point of, 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 of perfect competition. And, you know, he would say things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's scattered throughout his, uh, his interviews and, and in that book. Yeah. He, <laughs> Murray was no Friedman. No. In no, any sense. No, no. No. Tell us about Murray and your honeymoon. Yeah. Um, so um, I had promised my wife that we would go to Montreal on our honeymoon. And then um, the second Austrian conference came up the year after the, the famous uh, South Royalton Austrian conference, the first one. Uh, and um, I was invited to go and to give a paper there. So the first year was uh, the first conference w- was restricted to the, the speakers were uh, the senior economists like Israel Kirzner and Murray Rothbard and, and, and um, Ludwig Lachmann. But in the second conference, they wanted the younger people, to, such as myself, other graduate students and young professors, to, to give their papers and have the senior economists comment on them. And um, so uh, so I had a chance to give a paper at a conference where Murray Rothbard would be, Israel Kirzner, uh, Frederick Hayek was going to be there, William Hutt, the great South African economist and a friend of Mises, was going to be there. And uh, I was put in a suite, my wife and I were, were uh, in a suite um, along with Murray, Murray and his wife, Joey, and um, uh, William Hutt and his wife, very, very lo- lovely woman. And uh, so there, there were the three separate bedrooms and then there was a, 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 a bathroom. And um, so we all shared the bathroom. And, and so, so Murray was used to walking around his pajamas or, uh, or his, his, his shorts and um, so one morning, I think the first morning, my wife was going into the bathroom and, and, and Murray came out in his shorts and T-shirt. And he said, ah, you caught me in a state of disabilia, my dear. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> very, very charming. <laughs> and then uh, uh, another, another evening, um, it was about 2 o'clock. And, of course, that's when Murray's just getting started. And my wife and I were just, were just dead tired. And, and we hear a knock on the door at 2 o'clock, and he, and he was saying, Joe, Helen, are you in there? So we, we, never, we never answered because we were so tired. Um, and then, and then uh, the first time that he ever told me that I was heroic was, was that week when, when I was there um, on my honeymoon. He was very hungry. and It was very late. It must have been 1 or 2 o'clock. And uh, so we had a car. Um, uh, my wife had a car, we had her car. And so he, he, uh, wanted to find a Denny's. So I, uh, he, he loved these patty melts, uh, which was hamburgers and cheese on, on, a uh, on rye bread. And uh, he, he loved, it's a New York thing and, and he, he loved them. So we, we, we went around and, and all the Denny's were closed by, I did find an open pizza place. And by then it was like two o'clock in the morning. And, and he just kept going on about how heroic I was to find an open place in a, in a backwater <laughs> like uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Um, actually, it was, it was a suburb of Hartford, Connecticut. So he, and, of course, he was complaining the whole time when we couldn't find any open restaurants about, well, don't they know the Industrial Revolution has already taken place? We have electric lights. Why can't they, you know, the stove works? Why can't we, why, 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 can't, why is any place open? Um, so it was just a wonderful Wonderful time. And we were going to leave the first or second day right after I gave my paper, but my, my, he was so charming. My wife loved him. So um, we stayed the whole week and we, uh, we never, we went to Montreal later on. We never, uh, we, we didn't go on our honeymoon. We would, we would stay there the whole week, whole week. And it was a wonderful, just wonderful week. I can remember uh, in California, Murray wanting a patty milk <laughs> late at night. 
was a little easier to find it. Yeah, in California. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he he loved them. <laughs> uh, let me go back to the the the, the South Royalton um, sure please conference. Yes, because um, so so <laughs> it was a very small town. Uh, there was it was it was held at a law school, the Vermont Law School, which was a private law school that just had just started and gotten licensed, or hadn't even been licensed yet as a law school. It was unaccredited at the time, and um, so there, there there was not much going on in the town. It was a typical New England town. People went to bed early. Um, there there, you know, maybe one or two stoplights in the town. And you could hear on on the edges of town there the, the baying of dogs or wolves or something, and um, so it was a pretty spooky place to walk around with at, not, at night. But Murray, of course, was always out and walking around and talking and 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 um, so and 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 when you did see people, they would just they wouldn't really look you in the eye; they just sort of pass you. And um, so Murray started talking about this great 1950s science fiction movie that this town was just like the invasion of the body snatchers. So <laughs> people had a kind of a strange look in their eye. They never looked right in the eye. And so, so, you know, we went on about all of that. And uh, you, know, you also pointed out that it was sort of like the state of equilibrium, which you call in Austrian economics, the evenly rotating economy, where nothing ever happens. Anything that happens is the same as what has happened the day before. Same, you see the same people, the same times, and so on. So he kept calling it the state of the, the evenly rate rotating economy. So, you know, the, he just came up with so many great stories, and it was entertaining all of us. He was, he was amazing when, when he would go into, the, into a room with other people Everybody would immediately gather around him, and he was so funny. I mean, you weren't in his presence for more than a minute or two before you're laughing out loud. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, he had a ma magnetic personality, and he had an infectious laugh and, and, and a great sense of humor that that, that that just drew everybody in. And his laugh was 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 very very distinctive. So you knew what part of the room he was in, and you'd sort of gravitate. If you're talking to somebody else, you'd sort of be backing away, trying to get to where Murray was. In fact, Joey talked about them. Uh, they were going to meet for the, to go to the movies when they were dating, and uh, she was late. And so Murray had already gone into the theater, and the lights were out, and and uh, she was wondering how she was going to find Murray, and then she heard him laugh, <laughs> so she was able to exactly, go right to the that's exactly right to the right. seat. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. And then, of course, the uh, the Cokes, who had I guess sponsored those two conferences, yes, um, yeah, turned against Murray. Yeah, by by, by the early nineteen eighties. That they had wanted to be more outreachy, they wanted to be more big, sort of big tent. So they it really was a question of them, uh, or the issue was them hiring a, an economist who was really a Chicago school economist. And and Murray's whole point was that we really wanted to push the the Austrian school. Yes. And uh, um, I remember, and this story is, I, I think, uh, tells you the, the, or illustrates the difference between Murray's view of things and. Um, uh, you know the way we should be straightforward in who we were, and 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 put our our uh, beliefs out there, and and not try to hide them, not necessarily be um, browbeat anybody with them, but 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 not 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 try to hide them. Um, when I became part of a, a program to teach Austrian economics at Rutgers University, um, which was financed by the Kochs. Um, I uh, before before the program actually started in, in a strategy meeting with two other professors, 
that were going to also be there. Um, I had just read Mises' memoirs, 1978, um, his um, Notes and Recollections. And in it, he, he's a, Mises is a stra- was a straight shooter. He, ta- he talked about what, which economics he didn't like, which economics he did like, what the weaknesses were, um, and, 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 and was just very open about his views. So when I went to the meeting and, and before we started the meeting, um, I, I mentioned how great the memoirs were. I just finished them, uh, Mises' Notes and Recollections. And they, and they both sort of, they were, they were both senior to me in, in, in sort of the Koch organization. And so they both looked at each other and sort of smiled indulgently as if I was a child. I'd said something childish or something. And, and, they, and, and so one of them said, this is a disaster for Austrian economics. Mises comes across as a cranky, intolerant old man. So they were just interested in uh, now. Now they, it's both of these people believed. I mean, they they held you know the same views as Murray and and and, and Mises, but they they didn't believe that 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 we should be open about them, and that that we be we, we had to we had to sort of tack t- toward what the mainstream was doing. We had to become palatable to the mainstream. So what they wanted to do was sort of replace Mises as the leading light of Austrian economics with Hayek, who's mm-hmm. much came across as much more compromising. But if you go back and look at Hayek's work, Hayek, Hayek is, is, is much more hardcore than they, than they presented him. But, but Hayek's method of writing is, is a little bit softer. No, but it's true they were, um, it's why they turned against the Mises Institute, uh, because they thought that as the head of the then Koch Foundation said to me, Lou, don't you realize how much money we've spent to trying to get rid of Mises and make Hayek the key figure? And uh, he said, he said, uh, not even Milton Friedman likes Mises. I said, well, that's a medal on Mises's that's chest. Right, that's right. Good. <laughs> but they, uh, yeah, they um, said that they would uh, oppose the institute because it was going to be a terrible thing to try to. He said, bring back Mises. Well, I said, Mises has never left. I mean, he's right. He's, you know, he's he's his, his works just of course extraordinary. But they did said they're going to do everything they could to oppose us. I think today there's no question Mises is many great things about Hayek. Mises is rightly a much more important figure than Hayek in Austrian economics yeah. and really just the history of thought. Absolutely. Yeah. I think people are beginning to realize that in no small part due to the Mises Institute. We, um, the Mises Institute kept alive Mises' doctrines, his memory, uh, everything about uh, his books. Um, Without without the Mises Institute, I, I I'm convinced that both Murray and Mises would be a much much diminished figures. Um, we we've we we've kept we've kept their vision, which was a vision that they both shared of of the free society and of being uncompromising, and intransigent yes. in defending the free society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- that's what the Mises Institute has done, and that, that was very important. In fact, there um when when the the Austrian um, program moved from Rutgers University down to George Mason University, um, and they had a PhD program there. And they were incoming students. They would, they, the orientation would be that look, we're not going to, uh, we will teach the doctrine of Mises and Rothbard, but we're going to be Rothbardians with manners. That was a phrase they used, which meant that <laughs> that that we're not going to aggressively defend these views. We're going to try to sugarcoat them so that they are palatable to the mainstream. We're going to use we're going to use Hayekian language in some sense. But 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 I've been told by a number of people that that's Rothbardians with manners was was what how they, how they would phrase it. 
And of course, they didn't stick to Mises and Rothbard anyway, to their doctrine. No, later on, of course. Of course, if you don't use the language, because language is how we think. So so if you start using different words and and, and trying to sugarcoat things, in in a sense, your thought begins to change. And and it did. And they they thought that... uh, Professors should hide their hide their views in order to get tenure, in order to be promoted, and so forth. Yeah, and then at some later stage, reveal themselves. Yeah, that was called like stealth. Superman strategy. out of the, the phone booth. <laughs> yes, remember Murray comparing that to the the Communist Party doctrine at one point in the U.S., maybe elsewhere too, where um, they would put their their best people into say the plumbers union. They the views they would rise up in the plumbers union and become a very big deal. And then, it, and then at some point, they would reveal themselves as a communist, and they would fight for communism openly and, and turn the plumbers union to the communist cause. But Murray said it never worked out that way. After somebody had spent 20 years right. organizing plumbers, they were, they were a union guy. Yeah, they were union guys. They were no yeah. longer a communist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then at that point, they, they, they hated the communists because they were just interested in, in, in increasing their own wages and That's the right. wages of, of, of their members. <laughs> That's that, right. They became total union guys, as yeah. you said. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So funny, and there were, I think, for example, of hermeneutics that Murray just totally smashed. But at one point, that looked to be a significant and evil movement in uh, some parts of the alleged Austrian school. Yeah, in fact, it was it was Murray and and and, and Hans Hoppe and and David Gordon that all wrote, all wrote wonderful arg- articles <laughs> smashing this stuff. Yeah, and they just didn't have the intellectual firepower, the her- her- hermeneuticians, to fire back. I mean, they couldn't defend their doctrine, and they did. They abandoned it yes. after a few years. Yeah. Bobbins on how lucky, we, how blessed we are to have had two world-class uh, geniuses in a row with Mises and Rothbard, and uh, not that there aren't other significant yes, people, right. Hutt and Hayek and so forth, but uh, they're not the, not on these levels. Right. I mean, really, we, we were lucky. Uh, the, Aust- the Austrian movement itself, I mean, starting with Menger, who was, who was a genius, who was a creative genius. Yeah. There, there, a lot of people, there are geniuses abound. I mean, they're, they're, you know, very brilliant people, but a creative genius that, in a sense, creates something out of nothing, uh, like Menger did, um, with, with completely changing the approach of economics to focus on the individual, his values and 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 actions and so on, um, that that took genius. And then then to develop that into a full theory of the economy as Bombavik did, um, that took genius. So we we uh, Menger Bombavik was Menger's student, and then Mises was Bombavik's student, and and was in his seminar and and was influenced by him. And then R- Murray Rothbard was was Mises' student. I mean. That's probably unprecedented in the history of economic thought, that that went from 1871 um, up, up until Murray Rothbard passed in, in 1995, that we had four geniuses that were the protégés of, of the previous genius. Yeah, <laughs> a tremendous thing. Yeah. And uh, Murray thought very highly of Bombarek, didn't he? Yes, he, he did. In fact, um, Bombavik has sort of been written out of the even more than Mises has been, have been written out of the Austrian yeah. movement because he's supposedly objectivist because he talks about the real world, um, his capital theory talks. But there are, in, in Austrian economics, yes, we're subjective. Yet, yes, things only have meaning because there's a mind um, that is valuing them. But there has to be things in the real world, and Bombavik understood that and talked about the whole structure of things, how things became. Um, useful to human beings. It took a, it, he showed that it took a long time over which things were transformed step by step because, because human beings can't create anything. 
Um, human beings can only, uh, outside of their own thoughts, human beings can only transform objects in the real world uh, to become more and more useful to them. So, so that whole, uh, so this reading out, uh, the, the, this idea that, that Bombavark was an objectivist, uh, and uh, Israel Kurzner has called him, uh, or actually Ludwig Lachman has called him that, but, but others have, uh, like Israel Kurzner, have sort of concurred that Bombavark really is not that important because he didn't completely understand subjectivism. That's total nonsense. What he did understand was that subjectivism is meaningless without the things upon which the human mind operates, values, and so on. Wow, yeah. They tried to uh, take over Austrian economics, transform it, and they have their own little corner, I guess, at uh, George Mason, at least until the, the leftists there discover who George Mason was. Yes, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's already happening. Is it? Yeah. 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 All right, wonderful. Joe Salerno, thank you very much. Joe runs the Mises University. He runs the, uh, our uh, Rothbard Graduate Seminar. Of course, he's in, heavily involved in the, our new master's program in Austrian economics which uh, we're all very excited about. And there's a lot of interest in it. And so we'll let the other people do what they want, be in there, as I say, the little corner. Uh, but right. I don't think there's any question that people who are interested in Austrian economics come to us. And I remember uh, one, of the, one of the professors at George Mason, in effect, denouncing us for being so prominent on the internet. He said, it's terrible if they put in you know, Mises or Austrian economics. These people come up rather than yes. us. Yeah, well, <laughs> duh. All right, so. well, thanks for having me, Lou. Joe, thank you. great. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Lou Rockwell Show today. Take a look at all the podcasts. There have been hundreds of them. There's a link on the LRC front page. Thank you. <laughs>